Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the TF Podcast, where we discuss technology and business, and sometimes that revolves around Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. I'm excited for my next guest. His name is Brock Conley. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Bitcoin futures, the CME, um, just just how people invest in uh, this interesting asset. And so uh, with that, Brock, I'd love if you could introduce yourself to everybody. Sure. Uh, thanks, Jonathan. Great to be here. Um, great to be talking to you in these uh, interesting times, of course. Um, yeah, so uh, Brock Conley. Um, so I'm founder of a firm, um, Round Block Capital. We are an NFA registered CFTC regulated um, futures and options broker. Um, we, we're specializing uh, specifically in the digital assets derivative space. So what that means uh, these days is basically um, Bitcoin futures and options. Nice, nice. Well, um, yeah, well, thank you for joining us. And, uh, you know, I'm assuming you probably had some level of background in derivatives uh, before you started exploring the Bitcoin side of that. Uh, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, um, so uh, the deep background in, in traditional derivatives markets, um, you could almost say that I grew up on the trading floors of the you know, Chicago exchanges, Chicago Mercantile Exchange, Chicago Board of Trade. Um, so um, you, you know, in terms of uh, professionally uh, started trading and offering brokerage services, um, 2004, I bought my seat. So I'm actually a member of Chicago Mercantile Exchange and one of the 625 seat owners um, worldwide. Um, but, you know, we have a, you know, kind of a family history going back. So my, my father um, was a member of the exchange. My brother, you know, is still a member of the exchange and is an, is an active trader um, in, in actually the livestock sector. So, um, yeah, you know, um, you know, essentially kind of a little, you know, background of how I kind of matriculated into it, you know, junior high and high school, I actually worked as a runner on the, on the uh, trading floor, meaning that orders, you know, these are back in the days when, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, orders were filled in pits by guys wearing jackets, standing around screaming bids and offers at each other. Um, and so orders would, you know, come in over the phone, they would write the order down, order, order down an order ticket, hand it to a runner, a runner would bring it to a broker in the pit, the broker would fill the order. Um, you know, this, this is really how, um, you know, stocks, bonds, uh, futures, uh, options were done, you know, until the late uh, 2010s, right? Until pretty much all went electronic. It was a slow process from 98 up until 2010. Um, but so in, in about uh, 2004, I was working in tech consulting, um, you know, had this, you know, background kind of being a student of markets, uh, didn't like the whole uh, corporate thing, walked onto the trading floor, um, bought a seat, and I was actually a, a market maker in a number of different um, futures pits on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Um, real real quick for those that might not be familiar with the term market maker, uh, what does a market maker do? Yeah, so market maker is an in integral part of any financial marketplace. Um, now market makers are essentially um, algorithms sitting on computers. Um, and a market maker is someone who always um, makes a bid and always makes an offer, provides liquidity to the marketplace in any financial instrument. So 
back in the day, these, uh, these were guys standing in the middle of the pit. We called them locals. Um, an order would come into the pit. The broker would say, what's here? And all the market makers would give a, a bid and an offer. The, the broker would fill that order you know, uh, against the market maker. So um, that's essentially how it's done today. Although now it's done by you know, about a dozen um, firms, names you've probably heard, Jump Trading, DRW, Citadel, Susquehanna, um, you know, uh, proprietary principal trading firms that are making markets um, electronically um, in the crypto asset space. Um, many of the same names are participating that way. But yeah, I mean, a market maker is someone who provides liquidity um, to the marketplace. It's a service and they make their money by taking the difference between the, the bid and the ask. Um, and now, you know, like I said, it's done you know, sub milliseconds or milliseconds. <laughs> Whereas right, before right. it was, you know, done in a pit. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, so yeah, sorry, keep going with your story then. So you're a market maker uh, on the CME for a while. Yeah, market maker was in, uh, ec was in equity indexes, um, you know, dabbled, um, you know, some in, in uh, grains, but eventually ended up um, kind of where my family had a history, which is was in the livestock futures. So this is uh, uh, hog futures and cattle futures. Um, essentially. And so, um, you know, built up a, a book of business and just decided that, you know, I didn't want to just trade my own capital af after about three or four years. Um, so essentially, um, what I did was I was an executing broker, um, you know, an advisory broker helping commercial participants in the lean in the hogs industry, you know, hedge their risk in the marketplace. So when you're um, buying hogs, for example, are you, um, how does that work? Are you buying in your, in, in futures? Is it just that? So you're saying like, Hey, like, um, securing this price of hogs, you know, through this date, is that how that works? Right. So, you know, um, and we can get into a little more about, you know, the underpinnings of futures markets and why they exist, but it's essentially a, you know, hog producer that has so many heads of hog and I, you know, on a farm in Iowa, or North Carolina, and these are large, huge commercial, um, production facilities, right? Their risk is that the price of uh, pork goes down or hogs go down because they're, you know, they actually own hogs, right? And they raise them and they sell them to packers who break them down and sell them to um, supermarkets and what have you. And so they, you know, they're fine as long as the price of hogs is going up. The problem is, is that this is a commodity with, you know, supply demand dynamics like any other commodity. Sometimes the price goes down. They need to be willing to go into the futures market and sell futures contracts uh, against their underlying positions in what we call the cash or the spot market, their underlying, you know, um, hogs. And so, you know, if the price of hogs goes down, they actually make money on their short um, positions in the futures market to offset the money they're losing selling their hogs in, you know, in the actual hog market. And in fact, this is, you know, so, you know, really the two main reasons why futures markets, you know, were forward markets and things like that came into existence, A, for a central place around the world for participants to come in and, you know, um, conduct price discovery, right? So you have a central place where a price of any commodity or asset is, you know, um, agreed upon. And the second reason are, are for, you know, risk management properties. Anybody who's a producer or consumer in large scale of commodities uses futures markets to hedge risk 
on the actual product or financial asset that they have um, holding underlying. And so, you know, that's what we were doing. Um, at, at the time, this was, you know, 2004, 2005, China was just coming into the market in a really big way um, in, in terms of commodities. And so, if you know, you might remember, this is the time when crude oil went from $30 a barrel to $130 a barrel. Um, essentially, every commodity around the world, you know, um, was up even after the financial crisis until you know that whole thing came crashing down. Um, there was a there was a really big run in commodities, and um, about 2010, uh, you know, came back down, and really it's kind of been skimming along the bottom. Um, until very recently, to be honest. Um, you know, we can talk about that more as the uh, world central banks are pumping liquidity into the system. Yeah, um, let's definitely talk about that more. Um, so so the, to round, let, you know, to, um, to round that out, you started getting into Bitcoin uh, a few years ago, right? And just basically saw there was a level of commonality between hogs and uh, Bitcoin, huh? Yeah, more or less. So kind of where it went from there, 2011, 2012, most of the liquidity, you know, in trading matriculated from the trading floors onto electronic markets on the CME, the world trade, you know, every, you know, financial asset in the world. So, you know, at that point, we kind of, uh, our brokerage, you know, firm had to make a choice, you know, do we kind of make this transition, um, servicing customers in an electronic fashion, or do we kind of go our own separate ways? At that point, you know, um, had had quite a run. So it, in fact, picked up from Chicago and, and uh, you know, moved out to the Northwest where I am now. Um, and really, you know, uh, we traded uh, for some family accounts, you know, just in a principal fashion, traded for my own accounts for five or six years. But as you remember, during that time, volatility in the marketplace, you know, in, in uh, equities and bonds and all commodities came down in a big way. But there was this big outlier of this thing that was called Bitcoin. And um, so... I personally was introduced to Bitcoin purely from a trading perspective. It was the one thing that that people were starting to trade that had volatility, and as a trader, you know that's that's generally what you're looking for. And so, you know, um, you know, participated um, in some projects, you know, really early, you know, 2015, 2016, you know, um, uh, traded. Uh, you know, Bitcoin, you know, over the counter and, and on exchanges, but, you know, mostly was just kind of um, paying attention, um, you know, to the underpinnings of the market. And from there, um, of course, did all of the things that everybody does to fall down the rabbit hole of, you know, learning about this technology. And the more and more you learn about it, uh, the more fascinated, of course, you get by it. Um, and so I was pretty much sold, you know, in, in 2016, you know, uh, in 2017 on, on the space in general. Um, you know, about that time, uh, CME, you know, there were rumblings in Chicago that they were, you know, thinking of listing a product. Um, and so, you know, all of a sudden I had old customers and, and people from my network calling me and saying, you know, uh, how do we get, you know, how do we get involved? How do we actually trade on the CME? Um, and so, you know, I was kind of one of the few guys in the space that came from the traditional world, yet understood, um, you know, the digital asset world. And so um, we, you know, decided to 
start going through the process of, of registering a, um, you know, an independent uh, brokerage house that would um, specialize in these Bitcoin products. Yeah. So um, what, what is that analogous to? So if I am a, you know, retail investor, um, you know, what, what, what do I do currently that might be similar to how someone would interact with Bitcoin futures? Well, there's, there's a number of, you know, there's a number of different ways. Of course, a lot of the, of the retail brokerage houses, you know, uh, you know, TD Ameritrade, uh, interactive brokers, TradeStation, you know, um, you could trade stocks um, on a retail basis and also trade futures, you know, from the, yeah. from the same um, account. So, so basically it's the same, the same, um, uh, it's a new, in, or sorry, it's a new class, but the instruments are essentially the same, right? As what you would do with these other uh, Yep, correct, assets. correct. So, yeah, I mean, in, in terms of CME Bitcoin futures, you know, to the, the um, trading world, it's, you know, the CME Bitcoin futures is just another product. It, you know, it's just like if you were trading e-mini S&P futures, crude oil futures, gold futures, you know, now you have a separate product, a newer product right alongside of all of them um, in CME Bitcoin futures. Now, that being said, um, you can't, uh, the gates have not totally opened in terms of, you know, being able to trade, you know, from, from an ind independent individual, you know, investor standpoint, there's still a lot of restrictions placed on that. Um, this is, you know, the CME Bitcoin product is very much an institutional product. Um, because, you know, simply because it's a, it's a large, uh, it covers large, you know, underline five, five Bitcoins uh, contract is a CME contract. So, you know, notional value, you know, right now, $51,000 um, for margin, you have to put up about, you know, 35, 36% of that. Um, so for a lot of, you know, individual traders, you know, uh, you don't have a lot of Robin Hood type people, you know, um, no, no offense <laughs> um, to that moniker at all, you know, trading the, the CME Bitcoin futures. This is still very much so an institutional product. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so as um, it's become more institutional of a product uh, and, you know, it's a different way to get Bitcoin than going to Binance or Coinbase or some exchange. Um, what does that do to the overall credibility of uh, Bitcoin? And like, how have you seen the perception of Bitcoin evolve um, like in the CME, for example, or like in, in those spaces as a result of having these futures tied to Bitcoin? Um, how has that narrative or impression uh, point of view changed? Yeah, it's a great question, and I and I'm glad you asked it. And um, it's an it's an interesting dynamic from people, you know, kind of how they perceive, you know, um, regulated cash settled futures um, on Bitcoin in the in the marketplace. And um, kind of here's what I mean by that. I'll start by saying that you know, as a firm, we're a little bit of an outcast because you know we we operate you know under uh, the regulatory umbrella on the traditional side. Um, but we're also interacting with a product that is, you know, largely worldwide, you know, unregulated or uncategorized. 
And so we kind of have to have, you know, the, the, the people that we deal with, you know, the, the exchanges and the clearing firms are not totally sold on this, you know, on Bitcoin as an asset class yet. It's there, it's listed, it's seeing great growth. Um, it's not, you know, Euro dollars, futures, interest rate futures, equity futures by any means in terms of volume. Um, and then you've got the people that are like, you know, on the pure crypto side saying, you know, um, you know, this is, this is an asset that doesn't need institutions. Um, you know, you, you should, you should be storing your own keys. You should only be owning physical Bitcoin. And, um, you know, I, I remember even being at a conference, uh, about a year ago and there was a prominent, you know, crypto, uh, money management there. And I remember him telling the crowd, you know, Bitcoin doesn't need an ETF. It doesn't need CME futures. And of course, everybody in the, in the uh, audience cheered and, and clapped. And I totally respect um, that frame of reference. But um, in, in my personal opinion, um, you know, the, the, the actual world, you know, does need regulated futures. It does need an ETF. And, you know, kind of, you know, uh, uh, let me explain why. First of all, you know, um, um, Brian Armstrong, the CEO of Coinbase, I was listening to a podcast, he, he brought up a really good point, you know. So, uh, you know, their goal as a firm is to, you know, facilitate worldwide adoption of crypto assets. You know, us as a brokerage firm, our stated goal is essentially the same thing, facilitate the growth and liquidity in digital asset derivatives markets. You've got trillions of dollars, you know, sitting in traditional finance and fiat currency that needs to be transferred over into this, you know, digital financial world, right? Native digital. Um, in in the future space, you know, we see the exact same thing. Most of the you know, large institutions that have a fiduciary responsibility, you know, they do not have the mandate from the regulators or from their LPs or their investors to go out and just buy Bitcoin self-custody it or even bring in you know uh, a custodian like the easiest way for them to get access to this space is through a regulated futures product uh you know that's one main reason why you know this the cme product is uh so important um that being said i also i also think that you know coin your coinbase and krakens uh and finances of the world are also super important um, I also think the unregulated offshore futures exchanges are super important. You know, uh, BitMEX, Bybit, Quobi, OKX. All of these, you know, different venues um, serve serve a purpose, um, and th that and they're and for the most part, they're all thriving. Um, the CME, for for um, better or for worse, is you know um, th these contracts are, are thriving as well, and so. Um, that's that's kind of a, a you know convoluted you know answer to your to your question, but um, you know we we kind of sit in this um, middle area where we're trying to bring these two worlds together, and and sometimes it's a little bit challenging. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So you know, with your firm that you started, um, you know, what is it that you do, and what's I guess the angle that you're looking um, to take on in this space overall? Are you uh, supporting retail investors and they work with you or are you working more with institutions? How does that work? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, our, our core offerings are um, clearing and, and onboarding. So, you know, well, I guess to answer the initial question, we kind of have cast a wide net in terms of different categories of, of traders and participants. 
most of our customers right now happen to be institutions. Uh, most of them actually happen to be non-US institutions um, for, for one reason or another. But we do have um, smaller independent traders that come on. We do have, you know, quote unquote, retail um, traders who are getting involved in the space. And we're happy to service them all in, in a number of different ways. So really kind of uh, the value we bring to the space is, you know, uh, in order to trade on the CME futures, you need to have what they call uh, a clearing member, a clearing broker, someone who actually holds the margin and clears the trades. So our customers come to us. We have a number of FCM clearing brokers that we work with. Depending on you know, which one is best for the customer, we'll open an account at the FCM. And these FCMs could be anywhere from large bulge bracket banks, JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs. Um, there's, there's about 35 or 40 of these clearing members, all the way down to really small independent FCMs that are in Chicago or you know, what have you. So uh, we'll find the most appropriate um, Clearing, clearing member, open up an account there, money is deposited. From there, the customer, the trader needs execution services, so how are they actually going to place the trade. Um, so we have a, our own simple-based, uh, our simple web-based platform that we could offer, you know, a retail customer where they simply log into our platform online, place a trade like they would on, you know, uh, in, in any other retail platform. Um, and then from there, you know, advisory services, if, you know, a large uh, holder of, of Bitcoin needs to come in, hedge risk, um, these could be, you know, OTC desks, um, actual underlying spot exchanges, um, you know, uh, proprietary trading desks, you know, any type of, any, any guy that bought like 100 Bitcoin, you know, 10 years ago that's just sitting on it that needs to hedge out risk or earn yield. Um, you know, and then we also act as what they call an interdealer agency broker. So, you know, customer comes to us and they say, we want to buy, you know, a thousand Bitcoin futures, go out to the market makers and, you know, um, they're not going to, um, you know, execute that trade on the listed order book. They want to do that over the counter and cleared over the counter futures. So they'll come to us and we'll aggregate um, the liquidity for them and, and place the trade. Um, and so, uh, yeah, from there, you know, that's kind of how we started um, from, uh, from the um, listed futures, from the regulated standpoint. Um, we're slowly um, entering, um, you know, the spot OTC side. So, you know, a uh, customer will be able to come to us and say they want to, you know, buy spot Bitcoin over the counter, but they also want to sell futures at the same time to hedge their risk. Um, you know, we will have connections to spot OTC. And um, we're also, you know, building in uh, a borrow lend desk for for um, Bitcoin. So a lot of these, um, you know, terms and you know, offerings you probably see thrown around about uh, prime brokers. You know, sure. Um, you know, we we don't consider ourselves a a prime broker, um, but you know, we kind of uh, eventually are building up to the point where our our customers will be able to come to us and you know execute and operate on any venue worldwide, be it uh, futures or underlying crypto. Yeah, very cool. So um, when you say that, like they would kind of just tie into what you're doing or how, how would that work? Yeah, I mean, uh, for the most part, you know, we just, we, in, in terms of execution, we offer them our platform. You know, most of these traders are sophisticated and, um, you know, they, they are essentially making their own decisions about what to do in the marketplace. They're executing themselves. We're simply providing them the tools, um, you know, 
platforms, API connections and clearing to be able to facilitate that. If they, you know, uh, if they need, you know, advisory, whoa. Lights went out. Yeah. <laughs> Someone's telling me something. Uh, if they if they need you know it, advice on how to place trades or you know where the volatility is in the marketplace where the basis is you know of course we're able to help them with with any of those decisions so yeah in a sense they're kind of tied into into what we're doing um, a lot of times we're essentially just you know supplying the infrastructure in a regular in a regulated manner yeah super interesting um, well moving along to just the broader market and how you know institutions have gotten involved with Bitcoin and, um, you know, financial institutions uh, and so forth. Um, you know, back in March when uh, everything crashed, you know, for, it feels like a blip now compared to where everything's been doing, but um, it seemed as though a lot of these institutions that had positions liquidated or, you know, got out of positions and so forth. And um, th my question is more around like, how much impact or influence do you see uh, financial institutions having um, on Bitcoin adoption and without speculation, like even Bitcoin price? Like how does, how, how did they influence, you know, what, what's kind of going to happen, what, what did happen then and then what can happen, uh, you know, moving forward? Yeah. So, you know, in, in terms of like the price action, what happened in March, you know, um, of course, a lot of that was tied to, you know, the underlying, you know, financial markets. Sure. People were, sell, you know, people were throwing anything overboard that wasn't nailed down. Um, of course, you know, Bitcoin is, or, you know, crypto assets are way out on the spectrum in terms of risk. So they were one of the first ones to be thrown overboard. Um, the fact that you had, you know, a lot of these, you know, offshore exchanges that offer, offer huge leverage, um, you know, in in the, uh, you know, Bitcoin and, and Ethereum markets, um, that didn't help the situation at all, and and so that was kind of a contributor. Um, you know, since since then we've seen, um, you know, a, a steady stream. You know, everybody always talks about when are the institutions coming. I would argue that you know most most of the infrastructure is in place, and it's uh, simply a matter of people getting over you know some some type of cognitive hump on you know how you should value these things and and um, you know what your thesis is to your to your investors if you're managing money. Um, I do believe that it's it's happening. If you look at the you know at the open interest on on CME, um, you know it. It went from about uh, you know 200 million at the beginning of the year, almost almost up to a billion um, at its high. You know, two or three weeks ago, it's you know since come down from that. Um, you know, you could look at it. Fortunately or unfortunately, it's been you know fairly highly correlated with you know traditional assets, you know uh, equities, bonds, metals. Um, you know, some people think that's a good thing. Some people think that's a bad thing. You know, depending on how you look at it, but um, institutions going forward, you know, just like any other asset class will, will probably be the ones setting the price, um, simply because, you know, the, the money in their positions is, you know, is larger, you know, if, if you're some type of, you know, institutional investor and you're holding large positions and you need to exit in the marketplace, you're going to make much more of a, of a larger ripple. And so, you know, I, I, I think that, um, you know, venues that cater to institutions um, will probably be setting the price for Bitcoin more and more going forward. 
but um, you know that that being the case, like you know, most of the uh, liquidity and most of the price action is still on you know what you would consider non-institutional venues, and so we're we're definitely still in that um, transition period, and um, but you know I I do think that it's it's changing. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's interesting. It's uh, you know for the most part, Bitcoin has been. I'd say relatively stable, right? Like in comparison to, you know, what it had done and, you know, sure it was, I guess it went up to as far as like maybe like 12, five. And right now it's probably hovering right around 10,000 last I checked, but um, yeah, it seems like, you know, attention on Bitcoin and um, awareness is, is higher than ever, right? Like it's, it's um, you have some of, these financial gurus getting involved like Paul Tudor Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, you have companies uh, who are, I think it's micro strategy, micros. Uh, I can't remember the name right now, but that they just got, I think they bought like 1% of supply. Uh, right. as old as, um, uh, do you, what's the name of the company? Do you know if you're talking micro strategy? Micro strategy. Yeah. 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 So 1% of supply to hold as uh, asset. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's definitely has changed quite a bit. Yeah. And, and I, I think you're going to continue to see a lot more of that. Obviously, you know, the geopolitical, you know, financial picture, you know, ties in into that a lot. But, you know, um, in, you know, I can, I can tell you, you know, just, just from a personal basis, I can't name names, you know, there, there's some, um, you know, we get on incoming from institutions that even six months ago, we would have never imagined in a million years would be talking to us or people at the exchange or people, you know, in clearing um, and counterparties. Um, it's, you know, almost quite shocking how, how fast that it's come around. Um, you know, that being said, when an institution, you know, again, comes on board to invest in some of this, you know, in, in these assets, and to trade these assets, it's a very long process. You know, it could take six months or a year for these folks to even open up an account, right? It's, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a longer process. And, I, you know, I, I think it'll, it'll keep going that way. You know, um, from a personal perspective, you know, when I first got into it, you know, the, the whole talk about Bitcoin itself being a reserve asset, you know, even for sovereign, nation, uh, sovereign nations, or, you know, um, you know, a- acting as, as some form of reserve to me was absolutely crazy. Um, you know, the more and more that I'm in this space, the more that I, that I realize that, you know, Bitcoin is, is collateral, is, is almost pristine. Um, you, know, you know, central banks, you know, have always held gold um, in their vaults, you know, acting as reserves. Now, most of the reserves in the world are, are U.S. treasuries, of course, you know, is world central banks come in and kind of uh, bastardize that relationship. You see, you, you see people, you know, looking for, for alternate stores, alternate forms of collateral. And I actually think that, you know, Bitcoin itself at some point will be one of the world's, you know, uh, you know reserve assets. Um, I'm not saying that it will be the world reserve asset, yeah. but it will, it will it, you know, it will definitely be in that mix. Um, and um, yeah, I, I, you know, it's it's a it's a collateral that's um, you know digitally provable. Um, you, you always know you know who owns what, 
and um, you know where it is at all times. You know, no one else has a claim to it. Um, and on top of that, you know, there's only you know 21 million. There will only ever be 21 million in existence. And yeah. so, you know, uh, I don't see it going back the other direction, to be honest. Right. Uh, so moving outside of Bitcoin and just overall market in derivatives and, you know, just kind of how that works and futures and so forth is um, what what does the world of derivatives and futures look like in a pandemic? You know, like, is it uh, are, are people more bullish or I want to say bullish, but like, are people more uh, interested in futures? Are they less interested? Um, what What does that look like? in these times? Yeah, it's a good question. So, I mean, you know, um, from a pure volume perspective, you know, volumes and futures and options across, you know, all asset classes are up during the pandemic, you know, anywhere, from, you know, and people will speculate to, to why this is, you know, <laughs> people have, I guess, less to do, less going on, and um, they're, they're, you know, needing something to speculate in. There's, you know, depending on how you structure different futures products or derivatives, you know, they could be higher on the risk spectrum. People are are searching for yield, and so they'll, you know, come into derivatives markets to gain um, leverage and access to, you know, these different products. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, during the pandemic, uh, I, I would say that um, higher adoption. Um, you know, and, and then there's also the case that, uh, you know, purely speaking to um, commodities and other financial assets, you know, when world central banks dump a bunch of liquidity um, into the marketplace, it has to go somewhere. And so, you know, as I mentioned before, that's kind of another reason you're seeing, you know, all assets, uh, all commodity assets across the board go up. You know, of course, we've seen equities, you know, go through all time highs. Um, bonds have stayed bid, you know, gold is at all time highs, silver you know, um, kind of kind of the same thing, but even you look at agriculture commodities, you know, other base metals, you know, essentially everything is up in this in this environment. Everything is up in this environment. That's true. <laughs> right? Like you know, uh, yeah, there's yeah. that guy, Dave David Portnoy, the Barstool Sports guy, is like, you know, stocks go up, stocks only go up. Right. Uh, <laughs> I know it, it's it's interesting. Um, you know, in do you think anything changes that or is it do futures typically follow um, the market like the stock market or like what's the correlation across uh, other instruments? Yeah, well, again, in these times, you know, most things, you know, get pretty highly correlated because everybody essentially is just betting on, you know, more supplies of dollars and, and, and less supplies of everything else. Which is, you know, you saw the dollar for, you know, three or four years against all other currencies have a pretty good run. You know, the last three or four months totally turned the other direction, um, and same, you know, same thing, you know, pretty much across the board. Um, this this won't go on forever. In fact, you know, we're we're starting to see some cracks now, and it, you know, now it just kind of turns into uh, again, you know, following the central banks and trying to get a feel for you know, how much liquidity they're, they're going to, um, you know, pump into the system. Um, you know, uh, for, for Bitcoin itself, you know, I'm, I'm uh, it, it, you know, the whole, the macro picture obviously has a lot to do with it, but, you know, the underlying technology, you know, the usefulness of the technology, if you look, you know, at um, hash rate and, you know, 
average, you know, transactions per day and, and you know, anything that's done on chain, you know, these indicators are, you know, um, all up in this time as well. And so, you know, um, you will get, you know, like I tell people all the time, I remember uh, during the financial crisis, I was trading cattle, like even cattle futures were correlated to equity futures during that time. And, you know, it used to frustrate us so, so much because, you know, we couldn't put together um, really feasible trading plans, you know, for our customers. Um, and so you, you're seeing a lot of the same thing now. We're kind of at the whims of, um, you know, the, the externals. Um, but it, eventually that those types of things have a way of, of breaking, you know, breaking free. You never know when it's, when it's going to be, but, um, you know, it'll, it'll come definitely. Um, you know, I kind of think that um, for a lot of these, uh, you know, the Dave Portnoy's of the world, you know, probably most of the easy money is, <laughs> has been made. Um, but uh, then again, you know, there was a lot of institutions, a lot of really sophisticated investors that were actually short the equity market or, you know, short um, any, you know, God knows what, and, you know, ha had their face ripped off the last, the last three or four months and, you know. Uh, never would have expected that. And that, you know, that's always, you know, these guys is, is, you know, they were short, the market was rallying, they had to, you know, exit their positions in a big way. And that just added fuel to the fire on the upside. I think a lot of that has been uh, liquidated and kind of worked out of the market now. And so, you know, we'll see. Uh, anybody's guess. Yeah, no, it's, It'll definitely be fun and interesting to see uh, what happens. Do you, do you have any predictions? Do you have a crystal ball? Um, no, I mean, I, I, I uh, my crystal ball would be this is probably you know in, in equities and and even in Bitcoin probably more of a range trade through the through the election. We're probably gonna you know bounce around and then you know kind of kind of see what you know, what comes out, um, you know, if there's new leadership in, in the world central banks or, you know, in the White House or in the Senate, um, what have you, I think it's going to be a volatile time for the, for the country and the world in general, you know, through, through Q4. Um, nothing would, would really surprise me, but, you know, I think uh, you'll, you know, in the underlying markets, you'll probably see volatility come down um, and, uh, you know, just everybody kind of waiting, um, you know, what's to come. Um, you know, that, that being said, I, I, like I, you know, kind of said before, I, I still think there will be, you know, continued adoption in the, the crypto assets markets. You know, I still think uh, we will have traders come to us that need to manage risk, you know, um, manage volatility risk or basis risk in the marketplace. And, uh, you know, we're going to see con continued growth going forward. Um, you know, getting back to our, you know, underlying, you know, thesis. Eventually, all equity, all debt, all commodities and derivatives, and all currencies are going to be tokenized and digital or themselves natively digital. Um, you know, uh, I think, uh, you know, all assets will eventually sit on a, you know, on a custodian, uh, be it qualified or unqualified, depending on where you are in the world, your assets will be held there. Um, they will, they will, you know, those custodians will be connected through APIs to different clearing and, um, you know, settlement and execution venues around the world. And, you know, Bitcoin will be the, you know, the underlying collateral that kind of underpins that whole situation. Um, you know, I still think we're, 
you know, uh, years, years from, you know, that sort of financial setup. But, you know, I think that's uh, essentially the way it's going. Yeah, it's a good prediction. We'll see if it happens. Yeah. Um, Brock, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, my last question that you know comes is, what is a question that you have uh, for our audience that they can think about uh, as they go about their day? Yeah, um, so I guess the, the question I would have is, um, you know, what, what would be your uh, risk in not putting um, a fraction of your portfolio into Bitcoin or digital assets? Yeah, what's the, what's the risk if you don't? Yeah, I like that. Brock, what are some good ways that people can follow you, stay in touch with you, uh, pay attention to what you're doing? Uh, yep. Uh, so uh, we're on Twitter um, at roundblock, round underscore block. Um, I'm fairly active on Twitter uh, on a daily basis. My personal account, I do a CME Bitcoin market recap after the market closes um, in the afternoon. And it's at digital Brock, all one word. Um, and roundblock.capital is our website. And um, yeah, reach out. We're always happy to, to talk to anybody who's interested in learning about uh, derivatives on Bitcoin. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Brock. Appreciate you joining us. Thanks, Jonathan. Uh, everybody, thank you for watching and listening to another episode of the TF Podcast. Please do us a favor and make sure that you are liked and subscribed wherever you're listening to this podcast. Uh, also, uh, you can follow me at, at JG Product on Twitter, uh, as well as TF Labs at, at TF Labs uh, underscore. And if you want to learn about what we're doing at TF Labs uh, with our startup studio, uh, as well as some of the projects we have going on, you can learn more at tflabs.io. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all soon.